Well, we are in the final verse of this psalm, and so I think it's only fitting that we just read the whole psalm together one last time. I'm reading Psalm 23 from the New King James Version. It's going to be on the screen as well. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray before we begin. God, we just thank you so much for your goodness and for your mercy that follows us all the days of our lives. God, I pray that as we dig into this final verse of this psalm, that you would highlight something new to us, something that maybe we haven't considered before. God, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of every single individual here. We ask for that in your almighty name. Amen. 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 Well, we have reached the final verse of this famous psalm. And in some ways, I kind of see this as this beautiful closing crescendo moment. Because all the verses that were laid out before this one, they start to show the increase in trust that David has in his shepherd. It shows this increase in relationship. It shows this increase in intimacy with his Lord. And it leads up to this moment where David can declare with absolute certainty that he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now the Hebrew word for dwell is yashab, which essentially means to sit down and stay, to remain, to abide, to be at home. And last week, Anna beautifully unpacked the concept of the table for us, the table that the Lord prepares for us, a table that he wants us to sit down and recline at. It's a table where you are the special guest and God is the ultimate host. It's a table where he wants you to not just sit down, but he wants you to stay. So I'm calling this final message of this series, sit down and stay. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. And also, if you ever want to know where you can find notes for the message, like our scripture references, download the Elam app, and then you can do it digitally. But when I was 19 years old, I was spending a summer in Japan on the coolest fellowship. Somehow, I was one of four American uni students chosen to go experience the Japanese culture from a range of perspectives. And I found myself spending five weeks over in Japan that summer, visiting a number of cities, eating such delicious food. I saw historical sites. I sat at conference tables with businessmen to hear about how they run business in Japan. I visited factories and stayed in a number of hotels and homes. But there was one particular home that still stands out to me this day. This one home belonged to an older Japanese woman in the heart of Tokyo. Now, she was a widow, and she had two grown daughters that no longer lived with her. But she still had her daughter's room set up as if they had never left. And I remember when she welcomed me into her apartment. She was staying in this apartment in a high-rise building in Tokyo. And she was so excited to welcome me in and to show me around. And her apartment had these beautiful touches of luxury. And she was so excited to have somebody come stay with her. And she carried herself with this confident poise. But you could also tell there was a bit of a loneliness in her eyes. There was a bit of loneliness in the way that she spoke, in the way that she welcomed me. 
And the first morning that I woke up in this apartment, when I came out of my room, she was so excited to see me again, and she motioned me to this grand table that she had set for us. And it was a table that could have easily fit 10 people, but really it was just set for the two of us down here at one end. And she had pulled out all of her fanciest dishes, y'all. She had silver platters that she was serving breakfast on. She even had one of those silver domes that covers your food to keep it hot until I woke up. That's fancy when you have one of those. And then, and then she sets out this ornate teacup for me and she pours me a cup of coffee. And then she motions to this small silver jar with the cutest wee tongs and it has sugar cubes in it. Sugar cubes, y'all. Now, even if you don't normally have sugar in your coffee, in that moment you do because it's real cute and you just you know, you just want to pop it in. Sugar cubes. It was so fancy. She had set out her best for me. And there was so much joy in her smile that morning, but also accompanied by the loneliness in her eyes. And I could tell as she showed me and motioned around the table that she was really hoping that I would sit down and stay with her for a while. She was hoping that I would sit down and linger in this conversation with her, hoping that I wouldn't be this insensitive tourist that would just grab a bite and go on my way to visit the different tourist attractions in Tokyo. She set that table before me, and she set out her best to host me, and I still remember it to this day. She set the table with the desire that I would dwell with her. And so when I think about the table that God sets for us, I think that he has really similar intentions. He wants to give us his best. He wants to give us his time. He wants to give us his attention, his full attention. He wants to enter into conversation with us and talk to us about our lives and what's going on. But how often do we give the same back to him? How often do we actually sit down and enter into conversation with this loving God that prepared his best for us? How long do we sit and linger and allow the meal to nourish us? Or do we just check in with God for a quick meal, make sure we're all good before we run out and get on with the rest of our busy lives? Like Anna alluded to last week, I think in Western society, we've lost the art of the table somewhat. Look, I know how easy it is to let that dining room table just become the dumping ground of your house. I know, it happens to the best of us. Because it's just a big, flat surface that's just screaming for things to be put on it, right? It's like, there's room here. You could drop some things here. And this really happened to us as we were moving house, as we would find things and we didn't want Boston to touch it. We tried to put it up out of reach. And all of a sudden, this dining room table was filled with all these random things that was then encroaching on the area where the three of us eat. And you're trying to shove it back. And we're thinking, I'll deal with it later. I've got to pack other boxes. I've got other priorities. And this dining table was no longer a table that you really wanted to sit at. Perhaps this thing, same thing, though, happens spiritually for us. See, perhaps we can get so caught up in our busy lives, that we start to just emotionally dump our junk on God in prayer. And we say, God, could, could you just hold that for a minute? I don't really know what to do with this. Could, could you just sort that out for me? I'm just going to leave that there. I'll come back, God. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll have this conversation later. I just need you to hold it for a minute. And a lot of times in prayer, we just say, God, can you take this? I don't want to carry it. God, can you hold this? I don't know what to do with it. And then we walk away expecting God to just hold our lives together or to sort through our junk for us when really he's saying, hey, I can handle this, but would you sit down with me and we'll work through it together? Would you actually take a seat at this table, bring the junk that you've got, bring the baggage that you've got, but sit down with me. Let's have a conversation and I'll tell you, show you what you can eliminate from your life, what you can get rid of, and then what you need to pick up again with new purpose and new strength. See, God prepared a table for you with the desire that you would dwell with him, not just dismiss him. And you know what? When that Japanese widow prepared a table for me, I could have been an insensitive guest in her home. In her home. 
I could have said, oh, this looks so lovely. I'm just going to take this to go, though, because I've got things to do, places to see. And remember, Anna said last week, especially in Japan, you do not eat and walk at the same time. That would have been real rude if I were to do that. And so instead, I made time. I made time to sit down with her. Tokyo could wait because this beautiful woman prepared a table for me and wanted to dwell with me. I was her honored guest. And at God's table, you are God's honored guest, and you have a place there too, and you have an option to sit down and stay. So with all that in mind, let's read verse 6 together again because there's a few things that I want to pull out of that verse today. It says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now several weeks ago, we talked about the nature of shepherds and how they lead their sheep from the front showing them where to go, and then allowing them to follow. Well, I once heard another pastor describe goodness and mercy as like the two sheepdogs that keep rounding us up when we stray. Imagine that, you know, the shepherd's leading us from the front, but there's two sheepdogs named goodness and mercy that are kind of rounding us up when we start to stray, and they, they push us closer to the shepherd. The goodness and the mercy of God actually pushes us closer to him so we can see the plans that he has for us. You know, and some people, though, when they start to read the Bible, they read it like any other book, and they're like, well, i got to start from the beginning and just read cover to cover. And they start to go through the Old Testament. And if they don't have a full picture of the whole overarching story of the Bible, if they don't know the end, if they don't know the plan of Jesus coming through, they start to read about the God of the Old Testament, and they go, oh, this God is harsh. This God is cruel. He's strict and he's judging. This is not a God of goodness and mercy. But can I tell you, if you've thought those thoughts, That's a gross misunderstanding of his character. And so we need to talk about that as we talk about goodness and mercy because God is not harsh, he's holy. And what that means is due to his holy nature, because simply of who he is, he cannot tolerate evil. He's not harsh, he's holy. And God also, I would argue, is not cruel, he's just consistent, meaning he follows through on his word. If he asks people of something and there's blatant disobedience, then naturally there are consequences for that disobedience that he follows through on. It's not cruel. He's just consistent with his word. You know, a man named Trevin Wax, he said this, the God who is truly scary is not the wrathful God of the Bible, but the God who closes his eyes to the evil of this world, shrugs his shoulders and ignores it in the name of love. What kind of love is this? A God who is never angered at sin or who lets evil go by unpunished is not worthy of worship. See, maybe you've misinterpreted his judgment. Maybe you've misinterpreted his judgment, believing he's being unkind, but can I tell you his justice is his kindness? His justice is his fairness. And in another psalm that David wrote as well, David appeals to this aspect of God's character. He appeals to God's justice, his fairness, and his kindness. In Psalm 140, I'm just going to read a couple verses from that so you get the picture. He says, rescue me, Lord, from evildoers. Protect me from the violent. Keep me safe, Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Protect me from the violent who devise ways to trip my feet. May slanderers not be established in the land. May disaster hunt down the violent. I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. Surely the righteous will praise your name and the upright will live in your presence. Look, we, hear, we serve a God who actually hears our cries for help. He hears us when we cry out to him. Now, does God have wrath? Yes, but it's wrath directed at evil. And you need to understand that. It's wrath directed at evil. And I'm so thankful that we serve a God that doesn't allow evil to go unpunished. See, I'm so thankful that our Heavenly Father doesn't just turn a blind eye to sin. That doesn't just shrug his shoulders and say, good luck. 
with this world. Good luck with everything going around you. He actually addresses sin, and his wrath is directed at evil. See, I'm so thankful that we have a God who chases us with goodness and mercy when we come close to him. So does God hate evil? Yes. But does God love you? Yes. That's why he literally laid his life down for you to protect you from evil. Because you need to know this about God. God is a fierce protector. God is a fierce protector. And so when you draw close to him, he will fiercely protect you from the enemy and from the evil of this world. But he protects you best when you're close. And you truly experience his goodness and his mercy when you are closely in relationship with him. Maybe let me describe it this way. Boston, our little boy, is just over two years old. And that little boy's brain is not yet fully developed. His little brain tells him jumping off of things is really fun and it's really exhilarating. But his brain has not yet developed the understanding the consequences of certain actions. He can't fully think through all the steps. He's just like, this looks fun to jump off of. And he tries to jump off of anything these days. And that's why literally Frosty and I are constantly trying to catch this two-year-old, especially as we're in a new house. And he's like, oh, more things to jump off of. And so it's an Olympic sport catching toddlers. Does anybody have a toddler right now? The toddler, is it girls too or just boys that like to jump off of everything? Got to prepare myself for Oakley. But even the other day, we were sitting on the couch. I have a cup of coffee in my hand. He's next to me. He sees Oakley's little water mat on the ground, this thick, y'all. And he thinks that looks like a big old bean bag that's going to catch him. And so he dives head first. I have coffee in one hand, toddler in the other, pulling him back up. I'm, he's close enough to me where I can catch him, right? He's close enough to me because toddlers, they just jump off of everything. But they also just trip. Have you ever noticed that? Toddlers can just be walking and they just, they just trip over their own feet. They trip over nothing in the carpet. They just fall all the time. Toddlers are a beautiful thing. But here's the thing is when Boston is holding my hand, a trip doesn't result in pain. See, if Boston is holding my hand, a trip does not result in the consequence of the fall because my hand will grab him, steady him up, allow him to find his feet, and try again. It's a beautiful thing when, when Boston is close enough to me that I can grab his hand and protect him from a fall that could seriously hurt him. And that is exactly how God is with us. Psalm 37, verse 23 and 24 says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. So will we trip in this life? Yeah. Will we fall into temptation? Yes, but if we are close enough to the good shepherd that he could grab our hand when we're about to fall, he can grab our hand when we're feeling tempted, then his goodness and his mercy can hold us upright and say, hey, steady your feet. Let's try this again. Steady your feet. Let's try this again. See, maybe you've misinterpreted that, that to be judgment or that to be a harsh God or a cruel God that stops you in a moment, but really is it his goodness and his mercy catching you? Before you fall, you know, this isn't in my notes, but I felt like God just highlighted a few things to me today. Maybe that speeding ticket you got, you're like, God, why did I get a speeding ticket? Maybe it was his goodness catching you before you made a serious mistake. Maybe that speeding ticket was actually God's goodness rounding you up to remind you, hey, 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 steady your feet before you fall, before you hurt somebody. Missy, maybe it was God's goodness that he moved your office so that you're no longer tempted by that colleague. Maybe that's God's goodness that he's catching you before you make a fall. Maybe your phone keeps crashing every time you pull something up and you're like, God, why is this happening? Maybe it's God's goodness and his mercy stopping you before you make a fall. 
See, don't misinterpret what God can do if you are close enough to him. There will be temptation in your life. There will be moments when you start to stumble. But if you are close enough to God, he could stop you. He could stop your car before you drive out of the driveway to go do something stupid. Don't underestimate God's goodness and his mercy. Because his mercy is so much more powerful than our mistakes. See, goodness and grace is giving us what we don't deserve. But Miss mercy is withholding what we do deserve. See, if I fall into temptation, I deserve the pain of consequences. But I'm so thankful that I'm walking with a shepherd who can uphold me with his goodness and mercy. He can allow me to steady my feet, and he can say, let's try that again. But I can only experience that goodness and mercy when I'm in relationship with the shepherd. Now, if I choose sin over salvation, if I choose separation over relationship, if I choose the ways of the wicked over paths of righteousness, then sure, yeah, justice could pursue me. And disaster could hunt me down like it references in other Psalms. We need to know this, a healthy fear of God, a healthy fear of God will actually drive you closer to God. A healthy fear of God will drive you closer to God. And the closer you get to God, the more awe and wonder you have at the power of God. And I don't know about you, but I would way rather have goodness and mercy following me than judgment and calamity. And the good news is you and I can have that if we choose to sit down at his table. Not just momentarily, but for eternity. David says, for all the days of my life meaning now and forever. And this psalm reminds us that what really matters is being in the presence of God, being close enough to hold his hand, being close enough to hear his whisper, being close enough to hear the, feel the nudge to go in a different direction. And how beautiful that we get to be that close with our creator. Keys, you can come join me. Or actually, not Keys. Tim, you can come join me. <laughs> String, strings. <laughs> in the book of Revelation, we read words that give some light into our eternity as believers and what that eternity looks like. And I love that when we read in the book of Revelation, there's this vision that describes seeing every nation, every tribe, every people, every language standing before the throne. And in some famous words in chapter 7, verse 16 and 17, it says, Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not be down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, when David wrote this psalm, and when he said that he would dwell in the house of the Lord forever, Essentially, he was saying, God, I'm moving into your house and I'm not moving out. He's saying, I'm moving into your presence and I'm never going to leave your side. Church, we need to get this. This is important. When you become a believer, you are always living in the presence of goodness and mercy. Always living in the presence of the loving kindness of a shepherd who cares. When you become a believer, God invites you into his house. And it's a house of healing and hope. It is a house of joy and unity. It's a house of safety and security. It's a house of miracles. It's a house of salvation and resurrection. And he desires that you would come into that house and that you would sit down and stay. Because we're no longer simply visitors. We're honored guests. And God's not expecting you to leave at 9 p.m. so he can go to bed. He'll boil the jug for another round of tea. 
to enter into conversation with you, to hear your heart and to understand what's going on. It's an open door policy with God. You don't have to wait to be invited back into his presence. He's like, the door is open. I am here. There's a seat with your name on it. You can come into my presence whenever you like. We're his guest and he is our eternal host. His house becomes our house. You know, there's a popular Spanish phrase that I heard all the time growing up. Mi casa, su casa. Which simply means, my home is your home. Mi casa, su casa. And I believe that's what God is saying to us today. Whether you're hearing it for the first time or you're being reminded of it, through the words of this psalm, it's as if God is saying to us, my home is your home. See, you could find rest here. You have all that you need here. Your soul can find peace here. Your life can find direction here. You can find strength to face the storm here. You can find healing from the pain here. You could find my anointing here. You could find a place to belong here. You could find goodness here. You can find mercy here. You can find me here. So would you sit down and would you stay? Church, let me pray for you as I close out this series today. God, we just come to you now just humbled by your goodness and humbled by your mercy. Thank you for always rounding us up when we start to stray. Thank you for holding us up when we start to fall. God, I pray that we would always know your goodness and your mercy. I pray that we would always know that we can sit down and we can stay with you. We can sit down and stay in your presence knowing that we are not an inconvenience to you, knowing that you are not annoyed by our prayers, knowing that you truly enjoy our company. God, we just thank you so much that you invite us into your house daily, every moment of every day. You invite us into your presence. And I pray that we would never forget that. 